Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 Therefore laying aside falsehood Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor For we are members of one another For his name's sake Prescribe truth We giving you what the doctor ordered Jamal Bandy apologist The Lord's servant We undeserving but Christ changed our mind frame In a world full of errors The only thing the doctor prescribes is truth Welcome back, everybody, to the Prescribed Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Jamal Bandy, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. You guys, please forgive me as I'm dealing with a slight head cold and it kind of went down to my throat. So I got a lot of this mucus build up and I know that kind of sound kind of disgusting. I'm sorry, but I just want to be real honest with you guys as far as what's going on. Why my voice sounded like the way it do. I was going to wait before I upload another episode, but I wanted to get this out to you guys because I felt like it was a, um, an important um, topic to talk about as we're continuing to, dis- this, to discuss divorce when it comes to Christians. And so um, I'm really thankful, really thankful for the emails that I've received and for the conversations that I've had. If you guys have not checked out the YouTube channel for Prescribed Truth, please do so. Um, This Saturday, I had the pleasure to be joined by Krista Bontrager, the Theology Mom. Um, She has a YouTube channel, Theology Mom, and you can check her out as well. But I was joined by her as we discussed this a little bit more, and I was really thankful for the conversation. There was a couple of things that I would have disagreed with her on. But the conversation was fruitful, in my opinion, and I would encourage you guys to listen to it and check it out. And if, Krista, if you happen to listen to this, I really do appreciate you uh, coming on to the um, the live stream with me and chopping it up with me on the Chopping It Up Live. I'm trying to um, get into a place where I can do the, uh, the Chopping It Up Live on Saturdays, where um, I can be joined by guests more frequently. So I'm really thankful that this went over really well. And so um, if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, please do so. And so um, if you'd like to contact me, just like others have, you can contact me by emailing me at prescribe.truth at gmail.com. And you can also text or call at 801-980-6333. And you can leave me a voicemail on that line as well. And I can, and I will get back to you as soon as possible. And so what I want to do, I want to focus on this topic of divorce as coming from the position of abuse victims and those who are um, in relationships where there may have been abandonment. This is very, very sensitive. And I know that there are going to be people who disagree with my stance on this, but I want to be careful as far as how I go about my scriptural convictions, where I stand in these regards and what I think the church's role is in this as well. Um, once again, guys, this is coming from a, my perspective is coming from a position of a Christian, Christian household. This is assumed that both people are believers. You know, they're both believers. They're both trusting in the Lord. They're both, uh, profess Christ. And though we know, even on the reform side, we know that there are those who are of God's elect who, who are born again, who will trust in Christ. And there are those who profess Christ, but yet truly are not his. And so I know that there are a lot of nuances that that can be drawn from this, but I believe the principle in general uh, idea is the same or should be the same and be consistent across the board as far as when we look at the scriptures. So that's my conviction, guys. And I'm just going to draw from a couple of scriptures here. I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to start at verse four, but I want to come in a different way. I read over this briefly 
uh, in the last podcast, but I want to just break it down a little bit more. And I just want to talk like point by point. Now I'm not going to go through the whole point of first Corinthians 13, four through eight, you know, I'm not going to do all that, but I am going to just draw a couple points that I get from this text. That's telling us about what love is. And the reason why I'm going to this text and not the passages where it talks about, um, the exception clause to marriage, as far as when a person can divorce and all of that, you know, and it's, it's, it's reason why is because I know there are differences on that, but one thing we should all agree on is what the scripture teaches us about love. What is love? And how do we even come to know this love? All right. I just want to be consistent across what we see in scripture. Now, the Bible is clear. We see in James where the Bible tells us that God is love. He is love. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the apostle Paul breaks us, breaks it down to us what love does. The, how can you tell where love is present in an individual's actions? or in their lack of action. All right. So this is going to be the premise where I start from. And then I'm going to get into dealing with abuse victims and for those who are suffering through abandonment. Okay. And my, and my thought as far as what the church's role should be in those cases or need to be. So first Corinthians 13, four, it says love is patient and kind. Now guys, what do we think about when we think about the depth of this one line? Love is, and we know that word is mean it exists. It exists. Like we know when the Bible says God is love, God exists in love within his being is love. God is not God apart from love among other things, among the other, other attributes that God has. But one of those attributes is love. And therefore, if there is no love, God wouldn't be there, <laughs> but God is love. All right. So love is patient and kind. Now we can all point to times in our lives where we have been impatient and we've been unkind. The question then is in those moments where we are impatient and unkind, are we loving or are we unloving? That's the question. All right. What I love about what I love so much about the Bible and about how God revealed his truth to his creation is that there is no gray area in these things. Like, like I love how I, in our culture, we are, we'll tell somebody, Hey, I don't hate you. I just don't like you. And I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'm not going to be your friend. We're not going to talk. We're not going to get along, but I don't hate you. That's what our culture says. But what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says that actually that's unloving and that will be therefore hatred. There's no in between love and hate. You either love or you hate. And God puts that same language when it comes to him. We either love God or we hate God. We either love our sin or we hate our sin. That's that's it. Just like we all would agree that there's no one in the world apart from Christ who is somewhat in love with their sin. No, we, we all love our sin apart from Christ. And it's only and only in Christ that we hate our sin. So going back to it, love is patient and kind. Now, what does that patience in, in, entail? What is going on in the marital union? In this, in this covenant union between a man and a woman, 
which Jesus said himself, what God has put together, let no one separate. No one. That same no one is the same no one that Jesus talks about when he says no one can snatch me or snatch his sheep out of his hand. And then he said his father, who is greater than all, no one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. No one. So when Jesus says, let no one separate, I believe he means it. But now, what, is, what does love have to do with that? Everything. Everything. Love is patient and kind. Then when he goes on, talks about love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. But then he goes on and says that love is not rude. It's not rude. Think about that. Then it says it does not. Love does not insist on its own way. Guys, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times in my marriage that I have to come to grips with the fact that, you know what? It is unloving for me to only insist on my way. It is unloving. But now, how do I approach that from a Christian perspective? What is the right way? <laughs> Not my own way, but what is the right way? God's way. Because the Bible gives us the standard. When I think that I am in the right in an area, and there may be disagreement, the Lord is a standard. And I have to take responsibility as a man as far as the decisions that I make, even if they be wrong in the end or they show lack of wisdom. But I have to be careful that I don't fall into being arrogant and insisting on my own way as if I'm infallible, as if I don't make mistakes. Now, why am I bringing that up? Well, it's because a lot of marriages end up that way, whether men are caught up in their pride or women caught up in their pride, not seeking the Lord, not turning to the Lord in the midst of conflicts, but insisting on their own way. But love does not do that. A lot of us, when we have a conflict, we may slip into being rude, which then we are unloving we ought not do that because that's not what love is but it goes on that says that love rejoices with the truth now i skipped a little bit of that line in verse six if you want me to read the whole thing it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing love doesn't love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth but then it says love bears all things guys sometimes that's hard. I mean, I say sometimes that is hard, period. To love biblically, it is so hard. But why is it so hard? It's because we've been conditioned in our culture, what we see in the media, that love does not bear all things. We see the exact opposite of what this text says in our culture, and we've been conditioned by it. This is why people say it's okay to divorce your spouse. I'm not talking about in cases of abuse. I haven't even gotten there yet. I'm talking about just in general, our culture says it's okay to divorce your spouse. You're not happy, leave because their love is not patient. Their version of love can be unkind. It may envy and they may boast and their love is arrogant because they say, I got the love that you don't have. That's what spouses say when they divorce. Hey, I'm loving. I got the love. You lack the love. Therefore, I'm leaving you. That's arrogance. And that's rude. It does not insist on its own way. Well, the world's version of love does because it's whatever makes you happy. Whatever satisfies your heart is not irritable or resentful. But in our culture, we're told that, hey, I love you, even though I'm going to resent you. Oh, man, I should have read that line when I was going through this passage. I'm glad I stopped at it now. Look at that. I, st I looked at rude, but I didn't read the rest of verse five. 
It says it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Guys, I can talk all day on that portion alone. Just being irritable. How many times have you heard somebody say you're irritating me? You're irritating me. I love you, but you're irritating me. No, if you're if you're irritable at me, you're not loving me because you're not being patient with me. You see how they tie in together? But then it says not resentful. Man, how many marriages are broken because of resentment? Resentment of past wrongdoings that have gone unforgiven, unrepented of, resentful. But going back to verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Our culture says the opposite. Friends, our culture says the opposite. Our culture says love does not put up with nothing. Our culture says love doesn't believe all things. It believes some things. It doesn't say it hopes all things. It hopes as much as you can take, as much as you're willing to deal with. It doesn't say endure all things. Our culture says endure enough that don't make you like a fool. Just be honest. That's how our culture views it. And we're conditioned by it. I can't tell you how many times that in my own mind, I have to be reminded that this love This agape love that we brag so much about concerning our God that's beautiful and wonderful concerning our God in in, in relation to salvation and his people. This love is hard for us because we are sinful and we are selfish and we're wicked in and of ourselves. So with that being said, when it comes to our marriages, the Bible tells us that it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow than break it. That is sin, period, sin. When we get married, we vow to love and to cherish our spouses. That's what we vow to do, whether we do it perfectly or not. That's what our vows are. And this is why I always tell single people who are, who are seeking to get married, if I ever have a chance to talk to them, don't get married if you're not willing to bear all things with this individual. And if you both are not trusting in Christ, you you don't need to get married. I know that sounds kind of crazy. That sounds anti-cultural. I get it, but it's true. There are a lot of marriages today. There are a lot of non-Christian marriages today where they are simply tolerating each other or one person is getting more of what they want than the other. And the other one is just settling for whatever reason. You can't convince me that apart from Christ, that, that non-Christian couples are truly, truly loving one another. Because if you ask that individual or those individuals, what would it take for you to let this person go? What would have to happen to say that this individual ain't it? Who I thought was the one is no longer the one. And then they'll give you that list and you will see right then that this is what you call conditional love, not unconditional. And the reason why I bring that up is because the love that God has for us is unconditional, guys. And that is the love that we should be mirroring in our marriages. Unconditional love. That's agape love. Now, I want to take a brief moment right now to play a couple commercials from the Christian podcast community. And when I return, I'm going to give what I believe scripture would say to the abuse victims and to those who are suffering from abandonment and the responsibility that I believe that the church plays in situations like that. We'll be right back. Are you just watching? Do you enjoy watching movies? The special effects, the interesting characters, the great stories. 
there's a lot to enjoy that comes out of Hollywood. But sometimes it's best to approach secular media with a healthy dose of critical thinking. Join me, E. Franklin, and Tim Martin, as we discuss our favorite movies and share critical thinking for the entertained Christian. So visit areyoujustwatching.com to subscribe. And don't just watch. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all ask, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. All right, thank you once again for joining me and welcome back. And so real quick, guys, I want to look at Matthew 18. We talk about it. I want to start from dealing with the church responsibility. Now, once again, this is coming from a perspective that both individuals in this marriage are Christian. They are Christian, okay? They're Christians who love the Lord, who seek to please the Lord, and who live a life of daily repentance, constantly going for the Lord, uh, being transparent concerning their sin, and the constant need of Christ to continue to grow them by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to Matthew 18 because and you all should already know I'm going to the discipline passage, the passage that discusses how church discipline should go on. And this is one of them cases where I'm really going to be letting you guys know that I am so thankful for church discipline, for true biblical church discipline as it is. I know in our culture, people are so against this idea of excommunication, but guys, it is in situations like this, especially we're talking about uh, issues of abandonment and abuse, that you should be ultimately thankful for true Christian leaders who stand up as men and come against sin in this way and yet operate in patience and in love for both parties. You should appreciate this. This is God-given but let's look at Matthew 18 real quick. It says, if your brother sins against you. Now, if you're a Christian family, your husband, your spouse, your wife is your brother or your sister in Christ. When we die and stand before the Lord, there will be no longer husband and wife. When you stand before you will give an account of how you are a husband. You will give an account of how you are a wife. But when you go to be with the Lord, there will no longer be a marriage union between you two. Okay. So it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, you can't get no better than that in a marriage union. I mean, the person is right there with you, one-on-one, where you can address a sin that has occurred. Notice I'm talking about a sinful issue, a sinful issue. So like the uh, like someone having physical abuse or in a, in a sense of uh, abandonment, and I, and I think that's a there's a lot that goes into abandonment as far as what happens. There's no excuse for it, but there's a lot that goes, it builds up into that. Just like things build into abuse, you know, that doesn't make no justifications for it, but we got to understand how things begin. And this is why I want to start with first Corinthians 13, because when we're loving one another, then there's no resentment. There's no uh, insisting on your own way. There's no being rude. You know, saying like those things are getting checked at the door. Those things are getting checked by the Holy Spirit living within the individual. So notice that my premise in the last episode was should Christians divorce their spouse? Okay, this is what I'm talking about. So I'm I'm speak. I'm directly talking to my fellow Christian Christian sisters and brothers. But it says if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Verse 16. But if he does not listen. 
take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Guys, this is where I think the ball gets dropped in the situations of abuse in marital homes, in Christian marital homes, because this part is not brought to bear. Either husbands are not bringing no one in to tell what's going on. They're not confiding anyone. The wives are not seeking help from the elders, the brothers. At that point, they have confronted their husband, their spouse, or the the husband has confronted the, the wife of her abuse, if there is. And what happens? What happens? That's it. It's left there. And the person either changes or they don't change. They change or they don't change. But when they don't change, it continues. It continues and it may continue to go unnoticed. And this is my encouragement to Christian sisters. If you are happen to deal with the situation here, do not be afraid to contact the authorities or contact your elders in your church, because that is a witness. What I love about this, I know this is talking about um, uh, church discipline. So it would, it would assume that this other individual that you will bring along with you is someone else who know who knows and loves the Lord so they can judge rightly. But in the, in a case of abuse, I, I will say, I will say, that I believe the authorities could be called and that could, and they still go to your elders because all because the authorities get called and there is a minor separation because of the person of the, um, the abuser being taken away from the home for a time, the elders should still be involved. There should still be some counseling. And this is the part that gets missed a whole lot. And I'm not going to blame all the churches for this. You know what I'm saying? Because like I said, there are people who just don't tell people because once again, in our culture, it's this idea that, hey, what happens in our family stays in our family. You know, we don't tell nobody our business. Keep it to yourself. And so when it comes to abuse, but this is how things go unchecked, you know, and this is where we find that men who are in leadership positions and churches or whatever the case may be, and you find out that they've been abusing their spouse. And then it's like, hey, what happened? Oh, the church is at fault. No. No, 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 no. The church isn't at fault. The church stands to do what it's supposed to do if they do practice church discipline, that is. But people have to speak up, have to speak up about this. And please let the witness be true. Don't don't lie about stuff like that, but speak up. Tell someone. But look what it says. If he does not listen, that means there's no heeding to it. There's no there's no um reconciliation. Take one or two with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But then it goes on and says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, tell it to the church. And then once again, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So now the person is deemed an unbeliever. And I should have said this from the get go, that while abuse is still happening through all of this, while abuse was happening, I do believe that separation should and needs to happen for the safety of the abused, whether that be jail time or that the wife or the the abused gets um gets the church comes through and, and to come alongside them and help them find you know shelter where they stay with another member or whatever the case may be help them to get away from the violence and the abuse you know what I'm saying like they shouldn't stay there in the midst of this abuse this all of this is discipline this is discipline at hopes in hopes that the abuser will turn from their sin and trust Christ, will truly repent and trust Christ. But is his sin or her sin unforgivable? This is the question. Is the sin unforgivable? And let me be clear, because I know how sensitive this is. I don't want nobody to take my words and saying that or to make less of abuse at all. 
at all, guys. I've seen people get abused. I've seen women walk around with black eyes. I've seen it. I've seen it, man. And it's, it hurts. Even if you're not, you're not with them, you, even if you don't know them that well, it hurts to see a woman hurt that she's been physically abused. It, it's painful. So I'm not making this little by no means. But biblically speaking, concerning sin and what love is, is it unforgivable? Should it be irreconcilable? I don't think so. I, according to scripture, I don't believe so. The scripture only tells us this has one unforgivable sin that even Jesus says, I wouldn't pray for that individual. Whoever commits this unforgivable sin, don't even pray for them. That's what Jesus says about the unforgivable sin. But none of these things that we're talking about today are unforgivable sins. They are sins, grave sins, but they are forgivable and your marriage can be healed from them. They can. Now, once again, like I said, the abuse should seek asylum. They should. You know, that should be there, you know, and there should be something done about the abuser, period. You get no argument from me there. But on the subject of divorce, I believe that it can still be worked out. It can still be worked out. Now, what about in the case of abandonment? I'm so appreciative of the email that I received recently from a lady who told me about a woman who's currently going through a situation where her husband has abandoned her family, you know, and, and, and went to be with another woman. And now she's raising her Multiple children, I think she's like four children by herself. But yet she's waiting. She's patiently waiting. Her husband has not filed for divorce, but she's waiting and trusting the Lord that he will come home. I know our culture. I know, and I know some Christians will say that's dumb. Will say that's stupid. Like, why you go on with your life? He doesn't want to be there. Go on with your life. But guys, she's only following what the scriptures teach. She's only following what the scriptures teach. And what Paul says, Paul says, if an unbeliever, decides to leave, and I'm, I'm assuming that this, in this case, this man will be found to be an unbeliever, that in this case, that if they, don't, if they don't desire to be with you, let them go. Let them go. So if he files for divorce, that's on him. That's on him. But I believe up until that point, until one of them files, that marriage can still be worked out. I know that sounds crazy. And I know I know there are a lot of people who say, Jamal, you just trying to get tell people, you know, let them be miserable. People are going to be miserable waiting for something that ain't going to happen. Well, how do you know? How do you know that? Man, I tell you, and I, I think I, I mentioned this on my YouTube channel. And if you guys haven't seen that, I got a testimonial on my YouTube channel where I talk about, it's a three-part series. I talk about how I came to start Prescribed Truth, but I give a testimony about my life, a brief, a brief testimony about my life. And I, I was in a previous marriage, guys. Before my marriage I'm in now, I was married before and I got divorced around uh, 2013. I was married for two years. Uh, at the time I thought I was saved. I was, I didn't know the gospel. I was in a false teaching church. No, no harm, no shot at the pastor of the church at the time. He just teaching what he thought was best. But the church I was in at the time, you know, was not teaching the gospel, but I did think I was saved. And I was a minister at the time. You know, I was preaching and everything else. But me and my wife during that time of us being married, I mean, we was volatile. I mean, it was hard. You know, and the idea of love in that time was basically me trying to anoint the house and anoint her and anoint myself and cry out to the Lord. And and, uh, and, and I say cry out to the Lord, I ain't talking about cry out in prayer. I mean, literally just yell and just like what we call travailing, travail and just hope that the Lord is delivering her, <laughs> delivering my wife of her wickedness or evil, these demons that are plaguing her and plaguing our home. You know, like that's what I was doing and it wasn't working and I lost hope. I lost hope. We weren't working things out. We weren't seeing eye to eye. I decided to abandon. I left her. I told her I was done and I walked out 
And I didn't come back. The interesting thing about this is that my ex-wife, she attempted to work things out with me. I remember she would call me every day. She would come visit me on my job. She would come and uh, come to my come to my parents' house where I was staying when I moved out. I mean, she would come and just she would attempt to reconcile with me. And because of my misunderstanding of love, I told her that the only way I would come back is when I feel like I miss you. Guys, how wicked is that? How wicked? How wicked was I? I abandoned her and her kids. I built, I told these children that they were my children and I abandoned them. Guys, it's painful, painful. But when I left, guys, six months later, a, a year or so, no, not, yeah, about 10 months later, I heard the gospel again. I, I think I heard it a few times before that, but it, it really stuck with me. And I recognized the very first thing that I recognized is that me and my ex-wife, we truly didn't love each other. Not the way the scriptures t- talked about, not the way I was reading in first Corinthians. And when I realized I truly didn't love her like I thought I did, and I realized that it wasn't demons that was plaguing our marriage. It wasn't my wife, my ex-wife, who did not find deliverance from her evil spirits. That was the issue. It wasn't the fact that she wasn't praying hard enough, reading her Bible long enough or whatever. That was the issue. The issue was sin. My ex-wife and I both had a sin problem, a heart issue. And from what I learned from the gospel was that the only way to be free of that sinful issues is in Christ. It sunk in. That reality sunk in and it broke me. I wept. By this time, my ex-wife had already moved fast. (laughs) She moved fast right into another marriage. She was engaged and married not too long after that. And I remember calling her up. I apologized to her for what I did. Asked her to forgive me. You know, and it was, you know, it was, it was, I was broken, but I realized I was wrong and it took a while. It took a long time, man, for me to realize that, for me to really break that all down. Matter of fact, I'm going to take it back. It wasn't a year later. It was like, so after I heard the gospel, it probably was like some months later, a year later. So when it really hit me as far as my decision to leave. Yeah. It probably like a year later, it hit me that hit me that, um, the depth of my decision to leave and, um, the impact of divorce and my sin in the midst of all that. Man, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful for the truth of the gospel. And I'm being transparent with you guys because by God's grace, I'm not that same individual. I'm not that same individual. And man, like had she not had remarried, I would have sought to do what scripture had taught as far as going back to my spouse if she would have had me. But I praise God that he sent me and my wife who I am with now, who I believe God has sent in my life providentially to grow me, to shape me. And God is faithful. So I'm saying all that, guys, to say that we don't know what can happen. The Bible tells us that the hearts of kings are in the hands of God is like streams of water in his hands. And he turns it whichever way he wills. We have to trust God with the hearts of men. If we truly believe what the scriptures teach concerning our sinful, rebellious nature and our desperate need of a savior, then when we put our trust in flesh to do what we know only can be done, by the spirit, by the power of the spirit, then what are we really trusting in? What are we really trusting in? So I know there are some who will say in a case of abandonment, you should go ahead and file for divorce, move on with your life, you know, let them go on. But I'm trying to tell you, people do change hearts and it ain't because of them. But in the case that they don't change their hearts, trust me, a man or a woman who abandons their family, if they really want to move on with their life and let that tie go. They will file for the divorce themselves. And when they do so, then they've done so, you know, but until then, what is wrong with holding on? What is wrong with trusting in the Lord at hopes 
that he would save your spouse and turn their heart to him and that he would turn their heart to their spouse where it needs to be. I know I said a lot here, guys, and I know there's there should be. I hope there are some conversations that comes from this and not debate, guys. I don't seek to debate over this, you know, I, but I do want to have helpful conversations. If you disagree with where I stand on these things, trust me, I'm coming from scriptural convictions. It's not my own emotions in this. I need that kind of stuff like that, even considering what I've gone through myself. But it's just what I see in the, in the text of scripture. So if you guys would love to have a if you guys would like to have a conversation with me, I welcome it. You know, please, please, please feel free. You know, I do know there are some who will take the stream to say that those who take my stance will tell people it's OK that they should just stay and just keep getting beat up, you know, and just stay miserable. But that's not what I've said at all in this episode. And I would pray and hope that my words don't get twisted. I would never hope that a woman or a man will stay in an abusive house with their abuser. There should be steps taken. There should be steps taken. But all of this is a matter of discipline, a matter of chastisement to show us our sin in hopes of bringing us to truth. So that's what I stand on that, guys. And that's what I just had to say with that. Once again, you can reach me by email at prescribed.truth at gmail.com or you can call me at 801-980-6333. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can find the links in the description. I greatly will appreciate you guys for your donations as well as the monthly subscribers that I have. Thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, Lord knows I can't thank you enough. Please continue to pray for me as I try to grow in this podcasting and growing and delivering this content to you guys that I hope is edifying to you guys and beneficial to you all, as well as it's helping me as well. And so I really do thank you all for listening and for downloading and everything else, man, I, I really do appreciate you. So with that being said, remember this world is full of errors, but the only thing that a doctor prescribes is truth blessings.